Workforce Transformation, a future of work where individuals are owners of their own career. Companies buying work outcomes, not employees, on the open market. Welcome to State of Independence, the podcast about how independent work has completely transformed the U.S. economy and how you can take advantage of it. I'm your host, Asya Haq, Vice President of Talent Marketing at MBO Partners. Welcome to another episode of our Voices of Independence series. Today, we will talk with Beth Hughes, change architect and founder of Bay Redwood Consulting. We will talk about her ideas for building resiliency into a business, whether in a corporate or not-for-profit setting. We will also discuss the article she has written for the inaugural issue of MBO's new Advantage Consulting Quarterly magazine. Beth, hello, and I'm so excited to have you as a guest on the State of Independence podcast. Over the past couple of months, I've gotten to know you quite well as a member of MBO Advantage, and I've really enjoyed your unique, sometimes quiet in the background perspective on what is going on inside our community. And I've especially enjoyed learning from you about your unique perspective on the not-for-profit sector, which is something I know we're going to talk about today. However, before we move into the topic of your advice for not-for-profits in the new year, I thought I would stop and really, for the benefit of our audience, many of whom think about being independent or already are independent professionals, would love to know your backstory. So how you came to be the owner of your consulting firm and a little bit of the story of the time you spent as an independent consultant. Well, sure. I think that there's sort of the deep backstory. <laughs> there's the short version. The short version is that starting in 2020, there were so many things that sort of came together, changes in the environment around me, and then some personal drivers as well. So this kind of overlaps. I don't know if you want to go into why I'm focusing on nonprofits after a corporate career, but it's really intimately tied with why I'm an independent consultant. So I'll just touch on that really briefly. I had a long career in the corporate world. I had a diverse set of roles. I was a lender, a technology leader, a change architect, a risk manager, and a governance executive in three of the largest banks in the world. And also, I was a strategic planning and financial leader for nonprofits in healthcare, mental health, children's services, advocacy, and underserved communities. And I did that nonprofit work as a board member in hands-on roles, and also as a banker specialized in serving and understanding nonprofits and their very unique financial structures, financial needs, business models, et cetera. So that's kind of the two pieces that are really kind of critical to the thread of why am I an independent consultant? So that's the background. And then at the beginning of 2020, as I was starting to say, three things really came together. First of all, the pandemic, of course, and then uh, the rise of the importance of focusing on the work that we still need to do for racial, social, and economic equity in our country and in our communities. And then at the same time, I just had this very deep personal drive to do something where I was more directly, positively affecting the community that I'm in and the world. And so 
at that time, I thought back to my nonprofit experience and how much I loved doing that work in that sector and just decided to start an independent consultancy in which I would be serving nonprofits. Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of moved and touched by just how authentic your position is in terms of knowing exactly what you want to do and being mission-driven which of course we know, and it comes up in your article, is also the center of what makes a great not-for-profit and it's what makes those nonprofits succeed. And you talk about that in your case study and uh, your sort of a framework for looking at the sector with a lot of great advice that also applies to traditional business, right? So it could apply to those inside the banking industry looking at retail banking. And I mean, not to give away the whole article because I would love for people to go and spend time with it, but I, I would love to hit on the theme of something that seems like it's a theme of your career and it's also a theme of your, or of your life. And it's also a theme of the article, which is this moment of pivot. And it comes up in your article as being a central idea that the whole nonprofit industry is having to deal with because of what happened in 2020 and because of what's going to happen in 2021 as they continue to face struggles. How does a business successfully pivot? And what are your thoughts here? Because you've done a pivot, both personal and professional, right? That's true. And to be honest, I hadn't really drawn that direct parallel, but I think you're right. And one of my early lessons for myself as an independent consultant was to realize, yeah, you really do need to focus. You have to have a central core mission, if you want to call it that. I didn't think of it that way, but that's what it is, or focus. And so that is one of the things that I noticed in the uh, nonprofits that I researched and interviewed for the article. They do have to pivot in this environment, or most. There are some that have been relatively unscathed, but I think uh, something like 90% have experienced revenue loss and some of it extremely significant. So the key is to be extremely flexible in how you're executing your mission, but you have to be very clear about your mission because when you're surrounded by so much need in the community of every kind of need, economic, social, educational, health, et cetera, if you don't have your own mission clear, you're gonna be pulled in too many different directions, lose focus, and also leave behind the operational excellence that's made you successful at what your core mission is. But at the same time, that, that pivot, that flexibility, you have to be able to really say, okay, well, I have this mission, but I, I can't do it the way I used to do it. So how am I going to do it? And that's really difficult. But uh, one anecdote from the article that just really crystallized this for me, because it's just so impressive to me, was a little anecdote about the nonprofit leader whose very small nonprofit was serving at-risk inner city youth in the New York City area and delivering support services for those at-risk youth through the schools. But of course, with the pandemic, schools are closed. There's no way to deliver the service, what to do. So at first they tried various digital means, trying to reach their clients just you know, by delivering their services virtually on their cell phones. Kind of worked, but they sensed that it wasn't really getting where they needed to get in order to really fulfill that mission. And so the leader figured out that the way he could connect with his at-risk youth clients was to get on their game online games 
and connect with them via, via the chat. I loved that, by the way. That was Isn't that amazing. I mean, it was like a wow moment for me when I was reading the article. I'm like, that is truly innovative. And it's truly, as you said, he is so connected to what he needs to do for that population that he's willing to meet them where they are and where they're actually spending their time. And, you know, I have an 11 year old who thankfully is not in an at-risk category. We're very fortunate, but he is schooling at home. And that is a medium that now is unavoidable for parents, even those who struggled. And I was one of them who struggled with, you know, how much time does my child spend online? Is this okay? But you realize that connection is necessary and dialogue is necessary and it looks really different from generation to generation. So what I might find comfortable or necessary could be very different from what a young child needs to feel connected to the broader community. So that was actually my favorite example. And if you hadn't brought it up, I would have. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad, yeah. But there were so many amazing stories of, you know, kind of creativity and extreme effort, of course, as well. But so I think that is relatable, right, to to a business community as well, because they need to do the same sort of things. If they're delivering their for-profit services in a venue that is person-to-person and has been completely interrupted, every business has to be really creative about how they're going to pivot on that. So you've shared some examples through your original research and then through your qualitative conversations to share a variety of examples. For those um, nonprofits that have wonderful missions, but don't have maybe the agility to figure out where they want to pivot, they might need help. But their mission is genuine. Their desire to do good is genuine. Maybe they don't have the right business acumen, or maybe their team has been personally disrupted to the extent that they aren't able to collaborate and build those ideas. How do you see experts like you and also donors who might be able to connect experts, right? The, the philanthropist, right. the foundation that is the middle link, you know, to make sure funds still come to these nonprofits so that they can then serve the community. How do you see that problem being solved? I mean, you're doing it in a very mission-driven way by offering your services. Do you see that that is working well within this sector? Do you see an opportunity for better service to the sector by professional consultants like you? And that's a really interesting question. I I like your idea of donors and others also being able to bring that expertise. And there are some firms like Nonprofit Finance Fund and Bridgespan who are funders and lenders to nonprofits, but also provide expertise to help them. And it's in their interest, right? If you're lending, you want to make sure that the folks that you're lending to or granting to are going to succeed. So I think there's been an uptick in in both those kinds of firms and philanthropic organizations in helping provide expertise. And one of the other things I think I can point to is in the article I mentioned briefly, helping nonprofits build partnerships with other nonprofits that may have expertise that nonprofit A may not have, but nonprofit B does have. And they've never really worked together before, but if they pool their resources, they can both follow their missions individually yet. Example, one of the nonprofits I highlight in the article, uh, Renaissance, uh, worked with some other nonprofits that had some pretty strong IT capabilities in order to beef up the digital delivery that Renaissance needed to uh, make. That was 
just one example, but sometimes it's even to the point of, you know, realizing that we can't survive on our own right now. We need to merge or, and there's all sorts of consultancies out there that can provide resources. Mine is just one of them. Well, you're very humble, but I think that one of the things I've certainly taken away from my career in terms of being somebody who also decides who to work with, selecting of a consultant, um, identifying who's the appropriate resource to help to solve a business problem. And I think there's a lot of power in sometimes a solo experienced professional, somebody with your years and level of expertise. And I do want to dig into that a little bit, some of the different parts of your career that you talked about. But before we do that, I wanted to point out that that can be invaluable because there is an emotional and personal connection that happens leader to leader. I sort of saw it in your article between the leader at Renaissance and you. Clearly, there was a level of engagement where there was information sharing and insight development and and, and, and a willingness to partner that doesn't always happen with a much larger entity coming in with a sort of a stock consulting service when there's this level of disruption. So I I do see it as an opportunity. It's kind of been eye-opening for me. But I want to point to, for others, that may be at a personal pivot. We We see many within the MBO community that have had a long and illustrious career, and then they've chosen to do something different, partially to continue to keep their career relevant, partially because they want to pursue a passion. They want to offer their skills and mentor others. And I see some of those themes in in your career journey, but what about your traditional career were you able to sort of package and leverage to build your value proposition? You you touched so many different things as you, you discussed. You had strategic roles, you had operational roles. When you stepped back, did you just know what part of that was gonna be relevant or are you still discovering how those two things are going to work together, your previous career and your current path? I guess my gut reaction is to say all of it, especially because a lot of my career was focused on nonprofits. That's how I first started getting involved with nonprofits, actually, was through my corporate career. Then it sort of took off on its own because it just sort of matched my personal inclinations so well. But, you know, I bring the same expertise, just scaled and oriented appropriately for nonprofits. And and as you said, especially appropriate for smaller uh, nonprofits, because as a sole practitioner, I can really focus and also have that really personal connection. And I can also be very flexible as to what the needs of that uh, nonprofit really are. Or, But I also bring um, this to social enterprises, mission-driven companies, and I do some work for for-profits. I don't reject work <laughs> for-profit organizations, but uh, the nonprofit, social enterprise, and mission-driven is kind of where my focus is. But I bring the same expertise, financial management, governance, operational controls, and also as a change architect. Beth, of all those titles that you described, actually, I got kind of intrigued by the last one. So what is a change architect? Tell me what that means and, and who who hires change architects. I'm greatly pleased that you asked about that. It's actually never been a title of mine. It's just been what I do. So here's here's what a change architect is and how it's different from a project manager or a change manager. The key is that you start first just as a building architect would with deeply understanding and assessing your clients needs and the problem they're trying to solve with what they're trying to build and then 
based on that understanding and assessment of the needs, the constraints, you design a workable solution. And then you vet that workable solution with all stakeholders, and then, then you build. I can't tell you how many times in my career I have been asked to come in after the fact when we all just, with our human inclination to jump to the solution, a group had a problem. I'm talking within my corporate career. Um, a group had a problem and somebody thought, oh, well, I think you know we could just build X and that will take care of the problem. So everybody just scrambles around and there's usually some time constraint that's really, you know, pressing and everybody runs around and builds X and only after X is built and implemented do we all realize, oh boy, X doesn't really solve my problem or at least it doesn't fully solve my problem and I need to start over. And that's just a huge waste of time and resources. This is not unique to corporate, nonprofit, wherever. This happens everywhere in human experience, right? But one of my specialties is and I prefer to do this not coming in after that has already, that disaster already happened, but a lot of my career was coming in after the undesirable case occurred <laughs> and say, okay, let's, let's go back and figure out what went wrong and can you build us something that is going to solve the problem. So the key is, you know, assess and understand. Number two is design. Three is vet and, you know, gather your stakeholders, make sure everybody's aboard and then then you build, and then you engage your change management and project management expertise to make the program carry on to completion the way it needs to. So I'm hoping that explains it. I, I had so many thoughts and implications as you were speaking. And of course, I can see so many analogies to every single part of my own business life. And I think anyone listening would have the same aha, like, oh, yes, that happens, right? And we all get caught up in the fire drill and the artificial deadline and the you know general anxiety of the team to show maybe senior management or the board that they're doing something about a big problem. And it reminds me of something in my own career that I always think back to when I'm trying to halt and, and be more strategic, which is I was in a marketing training session when I was at PepsiCo, of course, high-powered group of young sort of MBA types getting ready for their brand management career. And uh, the leader that was leading the training, he said, you know what? The first thing I'm going to tell you is the most important thing is you don't get an A for effort. And there was sort of this collective like, oh, no, <laughs> that's what we know how to do. We know how to try really hard when we're young and, and energetic, but we're only going to get rewarded for results. And that just, you have to stop and think and think, did I design it to get the result? And I think that's what I'm hearing. That's what I take away from what you're saying from a business leader's perspective is the outcome you want. And you, you've heard Miles talk about outcome, maybe on our podcast or right. in general inside MBO, that's a key term. It's what is the outcome that you're trying to drive and what do you need to do to get there? Not what is the work you're doing and you know what is the project plan, right? That's secondary. It's the outcome that you're trying to drive. So I love that. Well, something about the way you think, as, as is everybody's unique style, comes from your own personal backstory. And you referenced it at the beginning where you said, oh, I could have a short backstory or a long backstory. And you, sh you chose to share the shorter one. But to me, um, what makes independent consultants inside our MBO network so unique is their more human story. And it's something I've asked others as they've come onto the podcast. So tell us a little bit about 
anything you're willing to share about your background. Oh, sure. Well, I grew up as a military kid, so lots of uh, moving and embracing new cultures, new experiences. And also, both my parents served, right? Um, my dad served in the military. My mom had a long nursing career. But anyway, this concept that work serves a higher goal as well as putting food on your table. And the engineering gene is very strong in my family. I am not an engineer. I'm a completely liberal arts kind of background and, and studies. But I think my penchant for, okay, let's think it through measure twice, cut once, that kind of that kind of advice I, I remember from my dad, who was very hands-on engineer as well. He built things and I was always seeing him planning and drawing before he made this complex thing for our car, for his motorcycle or whatever. And so that just was inherent in how I grew up and how I saw people solve problems. I guess that's just second nature <laughs> to me. Um, I ended up going to college in the East Coast and then came out to the West Coast where my family, uh, my dad had retired here in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, went to business school here. And after business school, I just got involved in banking. And one of the things that I really loved about my early career, which was mainly focused on relationship management and lending, was how many different business models and opportunities and problems each of my clients had. It was like a different problem solving, you know, every couple of hours in the day because you're working with all of your clients and they're all different, but they all have problems and they need your help to figure out how to solve whatever it may be from a financial sense. And sometimes you could also see some insights for, you know, operational uh, issues as well and give them advice. So that's also been just one of the great things for me about uh, independent consulting is that that idea of flexibility, variety, problem solving that that comes back to me now, you know, as an independent consultant. That's a great way to understand and frame your backstory. And it also helps me to understand that the story of your movement and travel, and I'm a big believer in you know, exposure and travel, changing your life perspective. It also helps me to understand your statements, right? At the beginning of our conversation, you started with a very purposeful statement about needing to feel like you'd made an impact on your local community and your concept of service, given your mother's career as a nurse and your father's career in the military. It, it just makes so much sense. And, and I, I always love to ask the question because it, it ties together and it kind of explains why you're successful because we can each choose a career but if we don't have that reason to be in the career it can be hard to sustain it through good times and bad and i think it's the same theme that i see in your article which is what sets the successful business i'm not even going to call it the successful nonprofit because you use nonprofits as an example but your your concept is is broader than that which is know your mission and really live by your mission. And then here are the things you can do to alter how your mission is delivered. I could see that impacting the fitness industry. I could see it impacting retail banking because you talk about the disruption of the in-person delivery model and how these companies addressed it. Uh, so I think there's a lot here for a thoughtful business leader to really digest. And 
I bet you you'll be getting some calls <laughs> coming out of this conversation that say, Beth, you know, I'm curious to speak with you about this and tell me what you think. And, you know, we love that. We love that when our community is featured and highlighted and um, can go out there and do good work in the world. And, you know, um, from hearing from Jean, who's another person that was on our podcast and the founder and chairman of MBO, that he is all about how MBO helps consultants do the work they love the way they want and have the freedom and flexibility and control. And I see you certainly as an example of that within our community and personally love the fact that you're an inspirational female business leader and one that is so mission driven. So I really want to thank you for taking the time to first participate in our first consulting quarterly magazine and be one of the key leaders that helped to bring it to life, you know, when it was just an idea and a napkin kind of concept within the community and taking it from that to hopefully a, a beautiful digital destination is going to be a great journey. And uh, the podcast will just make it even richer as people spend time on that destination. They can hop over now and hear your voice or hear your voice and hop over to the article. So whichever way they discover it, I'm excited to see what happens there. So thank you. Asya, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk with you. It's been really fun and I hope that it gives a little inspiration to others as well. Thank you. That was Beth Hughes, change architect and founder of Bay Redwood Consulting. Beth is a member of the MBO Advantage program, our exclusive membership program that helps successful independent practice owners scale their business success and build a powerful network. You can find more about Beth by viewing her profile on the MBO Advantage Meet the Members page. For more on the MBO Advantage program and for more of MBO's insights on the future of work, visit mbopartners.com or find another episode of State of Independence wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening.